Hello to everyone at home. Thanks for joining us once again. Today we are going to talk about antibody testing, dexamethasone, an array of hope, and just to balance things out, we're going to bring it back down with a chat about second waves. So this is Friday, the 19th of June. This is the Hot Topics podcast from MB Medical. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us once again. Neil Tucker here from the Hot Topics team, and I'm going to take you through the latest research and news relevant to us in primary care over the last couple of weeks. Now, this week, our focus is firmly back on coronavirus again, because there's been quite a lot of developments over the last couple of weeks, which are worth talking about. And there's not been a lot of really interesting research published in the medical journals relevant to us over the last couple of weeks outside of the coronavirus info. I hope that wherever you are at the moment, things are going okay. I hope that things in the practice are fine. I have to say, a couple of weeks ago, I was getting a bit sort of a bit down, a bit depressed about our new normal at work. Not really enjoying it, not finding it very satisfying, doing the majority of my work on the phone. But maybe things have clicked into place now. Maybe I'm kind of back in the flow with things. I'm sure that we all have our own patterns to our lives now. We're all stuck in this kind of endless loop. One of my loops is repeatedly trying to homeschool my five-year-old son, which has proven absolutely impossible. He will not sit down. He will not concentrate. He will not do anything that I want him to do. The other day I asked him to write down, this is like pulling teeth, but we only got so far as this is. So I don't think he ever really understood the message. I have done something different. I have finally had a haircut. So we got to the point where both my wife and I agreed that it was looking so awful that we absolutely had to do something. In fact, sometimes it was reverting spontaneously back to my 16-year-old self's greasy curtains, which is a terrible, terrible look. Anyway, it became clear that the risks were greatly outweighed by the potential upside. So she got out the scissors and to her credit, she's done a pretty decent job. Sure, I look like I'm just about to join the army, but with the amount of hair that's just come off, I've been able to sell it and fund another month of Zoom. So it's all good. Meanwhile, in the practice, we've adopted e-consult. So this is funded by our CCG. We'd never used it before. We thought now is the time to introduce these new technologies. And you know what? So far, so good. I hadn't realised that patients could attach photos. So it was a bit of a shock as I was reading through my first one and, whoa, there's a penis. Wasn't expecting that. But I think there's big scope for introducing a bit of fun back into our day. So I'm going to suggest at our lunchtime meetings in the practice, we play guess the body part for some of the hard to identify photos that have been sent in. So let's come to our topics of the day. And we are going to kick off with talking about antibody testing for coronavirus. Have you had yours done in your practice yet? We haven't actually got access to it. We're not entirely sure when that's going to happen. Sometime within the next few weeks, we hope. Seeing a gap in the market, the local private GP practice very kindly offered to test all of the local primary care staff for cost, which was around £40 a test. I didn't take them up on their offer and I'm quite glad I didn't now that I see the mess that seems to be unfolding in front of us. So no one appears to know what on earth is going on with antibody tests. 
even if you haven't had yours done yet, you've probably spoken to friends and colleagues who have had this done and people are scratching their heads with the results because there seems to be a huge proportion of people who are negative when we would expect them to be positive. So I could understand if this was just in people who thought they'd had coronavirus, because in the early days of the pandemic, any bug of any sort causing any kind of infectious symptoms was put down to coronavirus. And loads of people in medics and the general population have probably overestimated the amount of coronavirus illness that's gone around. However, we've been seeing loads of people who have had confirmed coronavirus on nasal and oral swabs using PCR when they've been symptomatic, clearly got coronavirus, and yet their antibody tests are negative. In our local hospital, it's been widely reported that 90% of staff have tested negative for antibodies, which was much lower than they were expecting given the number of positive swabs they'd had amongst staff. Why are we seeing these disparities? Well, it may be that the accuracy of the tests have been oversold. I was listening to another interesting podcast this week, which featured a medical statistician talking about the data that had been published by the manufacturers of the antibody tests that we're using. And I don't know why I'm surprised about this, but they appear to have been using techniques to report their data, which we might associate with pharmaceutical companies. So massaging the positive outcomes by using subgroup analysis, selectively reporting their results so that the test looks more effective than perhaps it really is. In defence of the testing companies, whilst this means that we can't perhaps believe the very high, virtually 100% sensitivity and specificity figures that have been reported, from their other data, the tests do still seem to be pretty accurate. So this doesn't seem to explain the big disparities that we're seeing in the real world. Could it be that people are just not producing antibodies? Well, this week we saw some data released by St. George's. Now, this is a preprint paper, so we have to take it with a little bit of caution. But it examined antibody responses in 177 patients and staff members. The majority were patients who had tested positive for COVID-19 on PCR swabs. And they found that over 9 out of 10 people produced an antibody response often even within the first week of developing symptoms. They reported that overall somewhere between 2 and 8.5% of people failed to produce an antibody response. So some people just don't develop antibodies, but it is a very small minority and this doesn't explain what we're seeing. Could it be that they've developed some immunity and then they've lost it over time? Well, this piece of data from St. George's also followed people up for what we might consider an extended period of time in the context of the current pandemic, so for up to two months. And they found that in those people who did develop antibodies, that seemed to have an enduring effect for at least that long. Of course, there's still the concern that we won't produce any lasting immunity to this coronavirus. But if you have had it, you've probably still got antibodies at the moment. So the bottom line is that the data we've got at the moment doesn't help us understand why we're seeing what we're assuming is a genuine discrepancy. 
it could be that actually the test is very accurate and the way it's been implemented in hospital labs around the country has just not been very successful, leading to substantial variation. One could argue that if these labs have been unable to use the test appropriately, when they seem to be fine with all manner of other tests, perhaps it isn't that good a test. I think it's also fair to say we don't even really know if what's being reported by ourselves, our friends and our colleagues in the real world as we start doing more of the antibody testing is really giving results that are lower than we would be expecting. So much of it is anecdotal. The reports that you see on Facebook and Twitter in medical forums, obviously prone to reporting bias. And perhaps it's just too early to tell. Everything will come out in the wash eventually. We just want answers right here, right now, which unfortunately we're just not going to get. Of course, the government has an agenda here. They're really trying to push their figures for testing. They want us to add on antibody testing to any patient having a blood test for any other reason. I don't even know how much these tests would cost if you covered the whole nation. Millions and millions and millions of pounds. Right now, I really don't think that's worth it. And I'm really not sure that we can rely on antibody testing as a means of getting out of lockdown. Would an antibody passport allowing us an easy summer holiday be worth the paper it's printed on? I'm not so sure. Blimey, I feel like we're on a bit of a downer right now. So let's talk about something positive. And that, of course, is the news that a medication might actually help people with coronavirus finally. So you will all have seen this in the news this week. This is the data that's come from the recovery trial, which is a UK-based trial. And it showed that dexamethasone improves outcomes in the severely ill due to COVID-19. So this is good data from a well-conducted trial. The trial is going on still. It's got a range of different arms, each looking at a different treatment for COVID-19. One of those was hydroxychloroquine, which offer the preliminary data that they've already gathered. They have decided to stop due to lack of benefit. Just to digress a little, I also saw a New England Journal of Medicine paper this week, which uh, was reporting on outcomes of patients who had been hospitalised with COVID-19. And I was staggered to find that 59% of them had received hydroxychloroquine. Around the world, they really, really have been buying into the theoretical benefits of a variety of medications, just chucking anything that they've got at unwell patients, irrespective to a lack of data and the possible risks. So while there's clearly lots of things that have gone wrong with the UK's response to this pandemic, largely at a government level, the medical research community have done a really good job of having a measured approach formulating sensible questions and then conducting good studies that cannot be rushed but will provide us with good answers at the end. The recovery trial is one such study. So we presume that the steroid dampens down the exaggerated immune and inflammatory response that we see in the sickest of patients and that leads to a one-third reduction in mortality in ventilated patients and a one-fifth reduction in mortality in those patients on oxygen which gives respective numbers needed to treat of 8 and 25. So it's been hailed as a major breakthrough. There's hugely positive stories in the media, but it clearly still isn't a magic cure. It's good. It's the best we've got so far. And indeed, those numbers needed to treat are much better than many interventions that we use in primary care on a regular basis but it's still hard to get too excited by these outcomes. Nevertheless, I have to confess to some smug satisfaction seeing these results. 
that a very cheap, widely available drug can show these benefits when there's been such a big push on expensive and hard to obtain medications, which have turned out to fall at the first hurdle. Still, none of this really helps us much in general practice, and there's absolutely no suggestion that we should be prescribing dexamethasone to our patients in primary care. In fact, the MHRA has specifically warned against it. So the search will continue for a treatment for those with more mild symptoms. And let's hope it's soon because, of course, the shops are open. Soon we'll have pubs and restaurants open as well. Lockdown restrictions are being eased. People's patience with isolation has run out, understandably. So we're going to get more mixing. We're seeing closer contact. And this focuses our mind on the possibility of a second wave. And there's been growing discussion over the last few weeks that what we once thought was a given, that we would definitely get a second wave, may actually not be that certain at all. So whether that's from improved immunity in our bodies, whether that is from genetic shifts with the virus reducing its infectivity, maybe it won't be as bad as we have assumed. Unfortunately, we're starting to see that that probably won't be the case. So this week, The Lancet published a report on Iran. So one of the earliest and hardest hit countries, they had a substantial lockdown, closing businesses, restricting travel, and that was very successful. So they started releasing that in sort of about mid-April. So initially, the number of cases continued to decline in around um, early May, they had about a thousand new cases a day that were identified. Then they started seeing the rise again. And in mid-June, so just a week ago, they were seeing around two and a half thousand cases per day. And the government is having to decide whether they should start imposing restrictions again. There's also been reports of second waves in some US states. In some parts of America, they haven't even finished the first wave yet. But those early affected areas, many of whom, as we have seen in the media, have decided to remove any kind of restrictions quite quickly. Again, the numbers are on the rise. Having said that, it's very unlikely we see the dramatic increases that we saw in the UK at the start of this pandemic. Things are far from normal out there. People are more cautious. They are still social distancing. People are not going around each other's houses as much as they used to. Despite the photos in the media of people queuing around the block to get into Primark, the levels of people going shopping is not what it used to be at all. It turns out that going shopping at the weekend is not such a great hobby when there's a risk of death associated with it. The schools are not back fully yet. People are working from home more. So the reality is that we're probably going to see coronavirus just bubble away oscillating up and down at a relatively low level, hopefully, for an unknown period of time. This poses certain challenges for the health service, of course. There was a recent study published in the New England Journal of Medicine looking at Iceland and transmission of coronavirus around the population. They never had anything like the level that we did, but it, it does provide some useful insights. So initially, transmission comes from travellers. People are bringing it into the country. Then we tend to see more household spread. And then we start seeing spread in healthcare settings, particularly hospitals. 
And this is something that's not really been talked about in the media over here, but that the public have inherently, sensibly assumed has been a problem. And we all know that the spread within hospitals has been ferocious. And that's not through any fault of our colleagues working there. It's virtually impossible to stop the spread, particularly if you have very limited ability to test your staff and give them appropriate PPE. We know that lots of elderly people contracted coronavirus in hospitals and then were sent out to care homes, spreading it to all the residents there. That's been a national scandal, but still they don't seem to acknowledge the difficulties with transmission within the hospitals. So as my list of routine referrals builds up more and more and more, I would love to think the standard practice is going to be returning anytime soon, but I just can't see how that's going to happen. And of course, there are going to be some enduring changes in general practice, at least for now anyway. It was pointed out by one of the GPs at my practice this week that even if we wanted to return to more face-to-face consultations, we don't have the space in our waiting room to be able to socially distance people. So for the foreseeable future, we're going to have to continue doing telephone triage first and then trying to bring only a limited number of people into the surgery. I think I might start doing more video consultations with my patients, not just when I think it's clinically indicated, but perhaps just anyway, because I need to see that smile from the patient. I need to see that look of relief on their face or that sense of gratitude when I've helped them with a problem and eased their mind. I think until now I hadn't fully appreciated how important that was for me in our job. Without it, something is lacking. You lose the positive aspects that balance out the drudgery and transference. We have to find ways of making this sustainable for us, not just in terms of workload, but in terms of job satisfaction as well. So, yes, I'm happy to wear a mask around the practice. Actually, I think that's not a terrible idea. It seems a little bit like we've missed the boat on this one, that we should have been doing this two months ago. And now it's a bit pointless because the levels are really low, but there will be another boat to catch and it could just help with that one. We should be encouraging patients to wear masks in the practice as well. This is all about protecting each other from ourselves. And we can try to ensure that general practice does not become a vector for transmission like the hospitals have been. But while we're doing all this, we can't lose sight of what makes it a great job for us as well. So find out what makes you happy in your work and incorporate it into your new normal. I think that's enough talking today. Thank you to all of you who joined us for our live webinar on mental health in the time of COVID last week. Apologies to those of you who couldn't get in at the time. It was so well attended in our virtual auditorium that all the space was used up. Who even knew that was a thing on the internet? Never fear, you can go and watch it back. Um, It's on demand, it's on the website. It's all free. Just look under online courses, hot topics, clinics, and you'll find it. We are doing a live urgent care course this Saturday and a live um, hot topics course next Saturday, all on the computer. So you can do it from the comfort of your own home. If you are interested, have a look at the website. You will find where to sign up there. As ever, you can find us on Twitter. So at GP Hot Topics, you can find us on Facebook and you can email us if you've got any questions, comments or interesting stories. Hot Topics at nbmedical.com. So we'll be back in two weeks. Until then, look after yourself. Bye-bye.